When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. But the big blow came in the sixth from another unsung hero, Eric Fox. That's a fair ball down into the corner. Here comes Weiss and the A's lead. Bordick is going to be right behind him. And Fox is streaking to third. They bubble the ball. Now he's coming toward the plate. The throw is there. Head first slide. He's saved. Well, you almost want to say beep, beep watching him run. That is going to be part of Minnesota Sports Rewind. We're going to dive into one of the, I think, more underrated but also under-talked-about Twins teams of all time in this episode of Mackie and Judd. We also have to uh, destroy Major League Baseball for what's happening these last 48 hours or so. But let's talk about Federated here before we jump into the show. Federated just wants to express their gratitude for you local business owners out there. Restrictions are lifting uh, things might still change and evolve over the next six months because the rest of 2020, when it comes to this pandemic, is going to be very unpredictable. And so if you're a business owner, it helps to have trusted resources and the guiding hand you get with over 100 years experience based in Owatonna, Minnesota, by the way. They're one of us. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. You can go to federatedinsurance.com to find trusted resources you may need and to find your local marketing representative as well. Everything from written pandemic policies, communication to employees, HR-related resources. At Federated, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. It's just a disaster for our game. Um, absolutely no question about it. It, it shouldn't be happening. Um, and it's important that we find a way to get past it and get the game back on the field for the benefit of our fans. Gentlemen, Gallup posted a poll. Gallup does a lot of polls. I don't know if you knew that. Yes. Gallup does I'm familiar with the Gallup polls. Gallup's um, polls, yes. So headed into the 2020 calendar year, Gallup ran a poll that asked Americans very simply, what is your favorite sport to watch? And 37% said football, yep. which isn't that surprising. Yep. 7% said soccer, which is the highest soccer has, has ever been. Seven, okay. And only 9% said baseball, which is the lowest percentage in the history of the Gallup poll. Dating back to the early 1900s, Gallup has been running this "What is your favorite sport?" poll mm-hmm. since the early 1900s. Okay, and, and like like 90 years ago is when they first started this poll. This is from Nate, Nate Silver from 538 tweeted this out. 
And so in 1937, 34% of people said baseball was their favorite sport. Only 23% said football. Now, football has gone up mostly steadily uh, from the, the 30s into the 90s. And then from the 90s into the 2000s with the quarterback era, it, has, it spiked as high as 43%. But just to be clear here, mm-hmm. according to Gallup, baseball's popularity heading into 2020 in terms of favorite sport to watch is at an all-time low of the history of the sport. All right? Yep. I'm not surprised. And for the third time, I will repeat, that was going into 2020. That's where base. That's the ground baseball was standing on, headed into everything that has happened in all of this public pissing back and forth yep. over how to divvy up an well, ordinarily a ten billion dollar chunk of pie. Now it's like a six or seven billion dollar chunk of pie. Um, what did you guys make of the latest back and forth here? Rob Manfred coming out and saying, "Well, th- this is the timeline, by the way." Rob Manfred came out a week ago. And said there will 100% be baseball in 2020. He said 100%. And then the players a couple days later finally said, all right, screw it. We're just done negotiating here. You guys aren't budging. And you just tell us when and where you want us to play. We're ready to go right now. We're ready to play. Let's just play right now. Right. And the owners and Rob Manfred said, well, actually, yesterday, nah, now the season's in jeopardy again. Where should we even start? I, if you remove the passion from this conversation for a second and and just look at what is going on here. It's very obvious that Rob Manfred is doing an outstanding job of what the owners or enough of them want. And this conversation, I keep coming back to it has nothing to do with playing a truncated 2020. It has everything to do with breaking the union for 2022. And, you know, Phil, I sat through this with a sport that I love dearly and, and baseball, unfortunately for baseball, it's becoming more and more like the sport. Uh, in 2004-5, Gary Bettman, who I detest as a commissioner, did an outstanding job as far as the owners were concerned by not losing a bit of sleep and losing a Stanley Cup and losing an entire season of play, but ultimately getting what they wanted. And so Manfred is is a great replacement in the minds of the owners to Bud Selig. Because, you know, Bud had his faults, and Bud was goofy and disheveled a lot of time, and, and the loss of the 94 World Series was certainly uh, a black eye on baseball. But Bud loved baseball. He really did like the sport. And Manfred doesn't care, and he's working for a lot of people who care more about their pocketbooks than the game that they're supposed to be stewards of. And so as maddening as this is to watch... And most maddening in my mind because they're insisting on it playing out publicly, which I just think is beyond stupid, mm-hmm. but but it's their choice. Um, it's maddening to watch, but it's not surprising. And the bad news is don't get too mad now because it's going to get worse. If, if the players and the owners continue at this rate, you're going to see a lockout for almost probably the entire 2022 season and the people that I feel really bad for are twins fans because you finally got a good ball club and folks I don't know over the course of the next three years how much you're ever going to see that club actually take the field I mean it is the the twins signed Josh Donaldson like six months ago remember that twins signed Josh Donaldson the twins spent a hundred million dollars on one of the best position players in baseball and they've got the best lineup on paper in all of baseball. And and here we sit. It's just like if you're a Twins fan, it's I've heard from a lot of frustrated Twins fans the last couple of days just as this has boiled over again. And it's like 
such a classic Minnesota sports thing that, of, of course, like this would be the year where the Twins are set up to maybe win the World Series and maybe they were one trade away. And here we sit, and now the season is in jeopardy. And by the way, if the season is in jeopardy, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be, you know, coding this with hyperbole, but I think the sport is somewhat in jeopardy if the season's in jeopardy because at least after the 1994 strike and missing a World Series, which was egregious and terrible. And and probably the worst thing that has happened to the sports, even worse than the steroid era, because at least the steroid era led to some fun things. After 1994, baseball had the steroid spike in 98 and the summer that we saw the documentary on Sunday night. And I get that it was sort of fraudulent, but baseball had something to spike it again two or three years later. I don't know what the spike would be if they missed the rest of this season when other sports and leagues are coming back. And the NBA, even though they have a couple hurdles to get over, the NBA looks like it's going to come back and baseball can't get out of its own way, what is the thing that's going to save this trend that we started the show off with? A nosedive, the lowest popularity number in terms of what is your favorite sport in the history of baseball going into this. If you ran that poll again in three or four months, season canceled, what would that number be? It ain't going to be 9% where it is now, which is paltry. Well, and what baseball really has to be concerned about is I think that they're Certainly are passionate fans left. But I also think there's a lot of, of people now who are apathetic and don't care, and that's what death is. For a sport, that's death. Um, in 94, going into – so they went on they went on strike in August of 94, I believe, came back in April of 95, but it was late and played the 144-game uh, season. They came back and things were terrible, and, and then – Ripken had the consecutive game streak that broke Gehrig's streak, which was a great moment a few years after that. And then, um, as you just said, Phil, the steroid era home run chase of uh, the 98 season took place, which was a lot of fun. But I don't know now coming out of this that you are going to have a situation where the owners even care that much about the spike because I think what they want is they want to win financially and in their mind if they win financially that's the end game but so I don't I don't think the fans are and and you know what that might be very it's probably very dumb it is dumb but I really think that this has everything to do with doing something that baseball has not done in years and years and years and I'm going back to the 70s and that is taking control of a players association that, that has almost always controlled you previously. But here's the problem. As you as you try to leverage and 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 hold down the players association, and by the way, like I don't think the players should be fully exonerated here either, because ultimately if they decided, all right, well, we'll get paid we want to play seventy, we'll take the money for fifty, like this would be over. And we'll and we'll get into some of the weeds here in terms of what exactly is being like where is this at? But if the popularity of the sport continues to nosedive as it has, there's not going to be a financial war to win. Like to what you're saying, I agree that the owners are thinking about how do we make this profitable for us in the short term and the long term, and and for it to be profitable. I mean, hell, the St. Louis Cardinals owner uh, Dewitt, right? Yeah, Bill Dewitt. Like that dude literally came out late last week and and said that baseball is just not very profitable if you're an owner of a team, and so like that's clearly on the mind of these owners. But the more that you play it out like this publicly and the more that you negotiate in bad faith, the more that you go toward the edge of losing a season here in a year, by the way, in which the country is just looking for anything to glom onto. The country is looking for like mediocre sports documentaries to watch on Sunday night. 
and and random golf tournaments like the Colonial. I mean, we're just like cra- we're craving. We'll watch Tom Brady hook drives into the woods for four hours. Like we want something to watch. That's some of the most fun I've had in three months. Okay, me too. And baseball, instead of stepping into the void right. and absorbing a short-term loss for long-term gain, it's, it's either they don't see the long-term playing field or they don't care. Which, by the way, if they don't care, that's also foolish because if the popularity keeps keeps nosediving, there's not there's not going to be a ten billion dollar chunk of pie to to fight over in five years from now. Uh, but I think I think we should get into the weeds a little bit here because like when this first started when when the grenades started getting tossed back and forth yesterday on social media and through Rob Manfred went on ESPN as part of this uh, all the commissioners of the the major sports coming yeah, in to talk he, about where didn't they're at. He look right. And this was what this is what Rob Manfred said to Mike Greenberg. You told Carl Ravitch here on ESPN last week that you felt a hundred percent certain there will be a season this year. How do you feel today? Well, I know the owners are 100% committed to getting baseball back on the field. Unfortunately, I can't tell you that I'm 100% certain that's going to happen. I had been hopeful that once we got to common ground on the idea that we were going to pay the players full prorated salary, that we would get some cooperation in terms of proceeding under the agreement that we negotiated with the MLBPA on March 26th. Unfortunately, over the weekend, while Tony Clark was declaring his desire to get back to work, the union's top lawyer was out telling reporters, players, and eventually getting back to owners that as soon as we issued a schedule, as they requested, they intended to file a grievance claiming they were entitled to an additional billion dollars. Obviously, that sort of bad faith tactic makes it extremely difficult um, to move forward in these circumstances. So let's sort this out. All right. So he, mm-hmm. so we're talking about um, the, the owners. The owners are committed to a season, but the but the players are negotiating in bad faith. And now you have the players saying the owners are negotiating in bad faith. And the players are saying basically what, what Rob Manfred is saying is word leaked to him over the weekend that if if they implement unilaterally the ownership group, if they implement a 50 game season, that the players are going to fire right back and say, well, that's negotiating in bad faith. We had enough calendar time to play 70 or 80 or maybe 90 games. Therefore, we are going to fight for an extra chunk of the pie that you guys are trying to hang on to. All right. So after reading, and Trevor Bauer has a great series of tweets about this in which in Matt Damon rounders like fashion basically calls what the owner's hand is right now. So in Jim Bowden, former Major League Baseball front office guy. So Major League Baseball wants to implement a 50 game season. It's pretty obvious based on all of the negotiation at this point. They want to they want they want to pay the players for 50 games because they can save money on the difference between 50 and 75 or 50 and 80. Every game the the owners have said we feel comfortable taking a loss to this point. Like we will we will pay for 50 games. Mm-hmm. But they don't see the value in the difference between 50 and 75 or 50 and 80 because the difference between 50 and 80 is just 30 games of extra losses for the ownership that's that's how they view it mm-hmm. so the problem is they agreed with the players on march 26th which is what rob manford alludes to here to negotiate quote in good faith a schedule with as many games as possible a schedule with as many games as possible mm-hmm. is in the language of the agreement from march 26th all right so a 50 game season wouldn't need to start until what like august 1st yeah, I think, I think I saw. 3rd? I think I saw a late July like date to, to be done by by September twenty seventh. And so, so let's say, yeah. uh, you know, let's just say August first for it to, with some off days to squeeze in fifty games. Yeah, it's like four off days per team or something. And then you need like 
two, three weeks of spring training, which brings you back into like, you know, let's say uh, July 10th, somewhere in there. Yep. Well, it's only June 16th right now. And so, you you know, if, if you start to do the math here in terms of, all right, if everyone, if, if the owners agree they want to play and the players agree they want to play, everyone agrees they want to play. That's what the players are saying. Okay, well, like, look, at, let's, what can we do here? It's June 16th. We can definitely play like 80 or 90 games and we want to make money for 80 or 90 games. Right. Yes. And the owners are saying, well, eh, we can, we can, we can totally play 80, but we only want to pay you for 50. And that's where they're hung up here. And so Major League Baseball wants the players to, this is the big news that came out yesterday. Baseball wants the players to sign a waiver saying that the league did try to negotiate in good faith. Yeah. And that the players wouldn't be able to file a grievance if the season was implemented at 50 games or whatever it is. Um, and so it's just like, it's it's complicated, it's stupid, it's it's literally a pissy match so, over $6 billion, and the owners are short-sighted here. So they're, they're supposedly going to try and land on like approximately 56 games, because if they if the grievance is filed against them and they land on 50, they're going to lose. And, and they're going to, if they lose this, it's a huge financial defeat so they're they're going to make uh damn sure manfred and the owners are that they don't lose this um there's a few things that i don't get here though okay so on march 26 you signed an agreement and i don't think we have seen that agreement right i'd like to see that i'd like for it to be publicly released i have the language of you're talking about the march 26th agreement what does the march 26th agreement say in particular about fans not being in the stands because that's yeah. what the owners have now come back and been like, well, we didn't think about that. Right. It's like, wait, you didn't think about that. So I don't have, I, here's the part of the language I have in front of me. Major league baseball will propose a schedule using the best efforts to play as many games as possible while taking into account player safety and health. But if the players have agreed, Hey, we're all right. We feel we're good with this. Yep. Like, like you don't hear player. Now you did see a report floated out probably by the owners yesterday that hey some players and coaches have tested positive for COVID. Yeah, yeah. That, well, I, of course they have. I There's don't know where that came from. Hundreds of them. Like, and by the way, they've been testing them for I think a month and a half now. <laughs> like, of course, people like part of these agreements to come back and play sports are hey everyone involved there will be positive tests. Yeah. Let's figure out what to do with that. And it, like if if the players were saying. Hey, we feel really uncomfortable about this. Like Kyrie Irving got on a call yesterday with the NBA players and said, I don't know if I feel comfortable with this. Okay, but that's not the tone of the players. The players are literally saying, we're good. Yeah, Let's come back and play baseball. And so the rest of the language is, while taking into account player safety and health, which is a non-issue right now, Mm -hmm. rescheduling needs, Mm non-issue, competitive considerations, Mm non-issue, stadium availability, I mean, non-issue at this point, and the economic feasibility of various alternatives is the okay, vague but, language in here. But I want to see, is there a subsection A or B to that stating explicitly what would happen? Because there's there's no way that a group of lawyers who I'm sure are, are paid billable hours, which is an enormous sum, there's no way these idiots sat down and didn't think in March about this because we we were talking by that point on the shows. About the fact that there might not be, be fans, but yeah. but but here but here's where here's where so here's where I I fear the fools are screwing up again because ordinarily I'd like to say well these are um, not necessarily the most ethical people but they're very smart they should be very very smart but here's where I fear they're making an enormous mistake and why and and why you should go ahead and release the schedule in some way shape or form now and why yesterday was an exercise in nothing more than stupidity. Mom and dad are getting a divorce. 
I'll go back to that. They can't decide, forget about who gets the house. They can't decide who gets the china and silverware. Right. You're, you're telling me, <laughs> you're telling me that in two weeks. Dad never wants the silverware and the china, by the way. Nobody's fighting for it because his girlfriend <laughs> does. It, his girlfriend does, and his wife is bound and determined to keep it, it away from the new missus. Dad feels like eating off paper plates, while not environmentally see, you're, friendly, is you're much missing, easier for kitchen cleanup. You're, you're <laughs> missing the point manfred and, and the boys have shacked up with a new gal so this is really <laughs> acrimonious but anyway so you're so you're telling me that we're going to slow play this on purpose because these are smart people who are then in two weeks going to say and here is your 56 game schedule and you're trying to tell me that at that point in time they're going to sit down and agree on the conditions of the return to play with the pandemic in, yeah. there's no way they they need to be doing that. These people are going to fight over every last thing. So if you're telling me that, okay, schedule's out, tell us when and, and where, which, by the way, sounds good. They're going to fight about every portion of the return to play premise that they possibly can. They need all the time in the world. They need counseling. I'm, I'm dead serious. So... I would have previously said, you know, I'm missing something here because these are smart people. But if these morons drew up that March 26 agreement, they ain't that smart. And baseball, I think, you know, Bud Selig is a much different commissioner than Rob Manfred. But baseball has been plagued by bad commissioners, I would argue, for 30 years. Bud Selig was likable in a lot of ways. And I mean, hell, I mean, when, when, when Royce and I did our show together, you know, so Pat, Pat is a longtime BBWAA member. Yeah, Bud Selig would come on our show once a year and yuck it out. Like he, he's great with the media and mm-hmm. tell stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, if you start to look at the last 30 years of incompetence, starting with the fact that Bud Selig lost a World Series, yeah. like I know it's not all on Bud Selig, but. When you are the commissioner of a sport, ultimately it is your job to be the liaison between the owners and the players' association, and and to be able to speak both languages and bring everyone together. Adam Silver is putting a masterclass on in the NBA over the last five years. David Stern, for the most part, put a masterclass on in the NBA. Um, Roger Goodell has fumbled, pun intended, his way through that relationship. And I think if you start to look at the track record the last 30 years and go back to the graph that we talked about off the top of the show, why has baseball, especially in the last 30 years, gone from one of, you know, one of, if not the most popular sports down to only 9% of people consider it the most popular? Mm -hmm. Bud Selig lost a World Series. Bud Selig lost control of the steroid situation in baseball for 10 or 15 years and lost control over the sanctity of record numbers, right? He ignored it, yes. So it was all great while it was happening, but now people are like, well, the home run record doesn't matter, so do home runs matter? Like, do I care about home runs anymore? Right. Manfred lost control of cheating and sign stealing and pace of play in a lot of ways, and now this, we might miss another World Series. And so fast-forwarding back to everything you just said and, and, and the current moment right here as we sit you know, the middle of June, one of three things can happen to bring baseball back. Thing number one is the players could actually agree to just take another pay cut and we can play 75 games. They get paid for 50. Yeah. And then that's not Mike Trout will still be able to feed his kids. Like they could do that. I'd buzz that one. Keep going. And out of principle, I think they're saying you guys like, well, you guys are billionaires. But if they if they allow that to happen, they've tipped their hands for the 
for the CBA negotiations that are to come, which like fans and just they're are, not and they're not going to do that. If I'm a fan and I hear like the like if if any of this is a chess game for like future CBA negotiations, totally screw you! I'm canceling my season tickets. Like that's and how that's I feel. Exactly what this is. Uh, the second thing that could happen is the owners can agree to just lose more money and pay the players for 70 or 80 games instead of 50 games. Yep. In which there would be no fans in any of those games. Yep. Uh, and we can just start right now. If if either one of those two things happened today, hey, yep. players said, all right, whatever. Like, let's we want to play 80. We'll take the money for 50. We'll just play the other 30 for free, basically. Uh, let's just do it. The owners would say, cool, let's do it. And if the owner said, all right, fine, we'll eat more money. We'll eat another billion dollars or whatever and play 80 games and pay you for all of them, the mm-hmm. season would start right now. Mm-hmm. The third thing that can happen, which is what appears to be happening, is the players can continue demanding, we will get paid for the games that we play. And the owners can stand firm and say, great, then you're going to play 50 games so that we don't lose money for 80. And then the owners can bleed the clock down to a calendar deadline that allows for the negotiation and the sharpening of the pencil to get to where you can only play 50 games. That's what's happening right now. But this is where they're wrong. And, And the players, despite what Tony Clark says, the players are not going to show up and play. They're going to have to vet through all of the protocols that you're going to have um, and and should have with a pandemic still in play, right? They're going to fight about every one of those things, and it's going to back things up more. And at some point in time, the clock's going to just hit all zero, and, and it's done. But this notion that, that these two sides, which right now hate each other's guts absolutely to the fullest extent of how much a person can hate, to the notion that they're going to be like, okay, here's your 55-game schedule, and here's what we're implementing for the pandemic and blah, blah, blah. Players Association is going to be like, oh, no, no, let's change that, let's change that, let's change that. This is what I don't get about where I think they're, they are making a huge mistake in not releasing the schedule now. And look, do you really think, unless the owners are going to cancel this entire thing, do you really think there's any way on God's green earth that a grievance doesn't get filed? Of course it does. So you're either going to play with a grievance filed or you're not going to play. But this whole thing of here's why they're slow playing it, again, unless they've done something behind the scenes that's absolutely genius and these numbskulls have not done a genius thing in years, there's nothing that can convince me that they're not screwing this thing up and that they're actually getting closer to the edge of the cliff. So all three of us love baseball. I'll start with Declan on this one. Just as baseball fans... And as people who love watching the Twins and going to Twins games, and if they don't figure out a way to come back and play this year, let's say there's no season, how would that affect your baseball fandom going into 2021? Well, I'm, I've been pretty crushed this last, like, yesterday was an awful day. Just like seeing Rob Manfred saying, walking back after he said, I'm, we're unequivocally going to play baseball. And I've always been someone with my friends who are my age. I'm I'm in a minority group where people don't like baseball who are my mid-20s. There's only a select few of my friends who really like baseball. I'd say the majority of them don't like it. And I've always been like, well, it's very profitable. You know, at the end of the day, it's extremely profitable. So no matter what you think, it's not going anywhere because it's super profitable. Now, it still can remain profitable, right? The owners can still collect like $2.5 billion with playoffs this year but the likability is now at an all-time low, lower than it was before that poll came out. And I don't know how I can sell a common 25-year-old, 30-year-old sports fan on why to watch baseball. I do think there's something with a little kid who loves playing baseball that, like, I'm not going to go to a 10-year-old and be like, hey, do you know baseball stinks and you should stop playing it? 
I don't think we're at that part, part, point yet, but I don't know how to market this sport to someone who is basically outside of childhood and is an adult now and can't figure out why I should watch baseball. So, like, I, I feel this more burden of, I'm kind of with you. Like, why why should I care about baseball if they really don't even care about the players? Yeah. It's maddening. Game. Like, I want baseball to figure it out in many areas so badly. But I'd be lying. Like, baseball's been my favorite sport. It's the only sport. Like, I quit all other sports when I was in eighth grade. And I played baseball exclusively through high school. And so it's been the only sport that I've played or or loved at the top since I was 14, 15 years old. Um, it's a sport that I covered as a beat writer for several years to get my foot in the door in radio and media. And so like baseball means a lot to me. And I feel like right now I have a better connection with basketball and the NBA than I do with major league baseball. I just, I just not that basketball is perfect and has all the answers too, but I just feel, I feel like baseball is so out of touch. They're lighting their own league on fire. They can't figure out ways to be more relevant to younger audiences. I mean, think about this. Baseball still, if you if you buy the Major League Baseball package on MLB, you know, MLB TV, you buy the online Major League Baseball package, you still can't watch Twins games. Oh, on your computer? Like, you can't watch local games. They black out yeah, local no, games. It, there's parts in Iowa where you're, like, you're blacked out of a dozen different teams. Yeah. yeah, Cubs, White Sox, Royals, Brewers, I think. Now, the one thing, the one thing about baseball, I will tell you a sports dad here. You guys both grew up in the golden age of the Union and the league getting along, okay? There was a time in the 70s, into the 80s, through 1994, when this type of crap happened way too much. 81, they shut down halfway, like in June, okay? Went on strike in June. Came out in like August, I believe. Started with the All-Star game. Played played what they called a split season. So they basically played, they took the games through June, said, that's half our season. They started in August. The Cincinnati Reds in the 81 season had the best record in all of baseball. Because of this, they didn't make the playoffs. In 85, the year the All-Star game was here, I believe it was about a month after the All-Star game was played here, they had like a five-day strike. So again, they walk out, they come back. Three years, five days or something. 94, again. They lose the entire thing from August on. No World Series. The point being is baseball's inability to get its act together and and the fact that the Players Association in baseball is strong. And and since Marvin Miller came in in the late 60s, I believe, into the 70s and was a really, really bright guy and basically abused the owners and Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner at the time, um, this sport has had a long history, which thankfully has been interrupted now since uh, they, they came back in 95, has had a long history of not having its act together. Here is my suggestion, though, and I've, I'm curious if you guys agree, and it's probably impossible to do, but I will say this. If things are going to be this contentious now, and there's a uh, there appears to be a possibility that we're not going to have baseball come back this summer, I would tell them, take your CBA and shove it and do and get it all done now. So the last thing I want is 2020 is already basically screwed up, right? Then you're going to come back in 2021, play 162, a World Series, and then you're going to fight some more. 
I would rather they go into a room, and I'm serious, as long as it takes into 2021, and I know as a baseball fan, this hurts and it sucks, but I would rather you just get this all done now because it's going to come back. It's going to get done. It always does. So it's not like the sport is going to just go away. I would much prefer that you tear up the current CBA, get whatever you need to do done, and whenever you get back in 2021 or 2022, that you have a multi-year CBA done because the last thing I want is, hey, you're back playing baseball in 21. Oh, now you're gone in 2022. I mean, I would. That's what I'd like. I mostly agree. But if they miss the World Series this year, don't miss a World Series. Don't miss a World Series. I know it's it's a weird trouble. sprint to the finish line to, to do a 50-game season, but don't miss a World Series or a lot of people. I, I haven't decided if I'm out yet because I think it's easy to say, like, I'm out on baseball. I freaking love baseball. And yep. so, like, as when opening day comes next year, if like, am I probably going to be at Target Field? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if fans are allowed by opening day next year. But it's but it's like it's if it's making diehard fans think twice, mm-hmm. it's a serious problem. Think about think about what casual fan is thinking, which is nothing because they don't give a crap about baseball right now. So, all right, enough of this depressing BS. <laughs> Let's go back to uh, well, <laughs> I don't I don't think this is going to be a depressing episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind, but I think it's going to be an interesting look at one of the less talked about good Twins teams in franchise history. But let's talk about one of the best car dealerships, if not the best, in service department in the Twin Cities, Luther Brookdale Toyota. They have been making sure the last few months that the guests and customers are safe and their team members are safe as well, taking all the necessary precautions to keep the facilities and the vehicles and the workspaces clean so you can feel comfortable during these pandemic times. And uh, you can go to their website, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com, to snoop around and Shop for new and pre-owned vehicles. Right now, you can actually get 0% interest for 60 months on all certified pre-owned Camrys and RAV4s. I've been driving a RAV4 for just over a year now. It's the first time I've driven a RAV4 on a regular basis. I love it. I love the new technology, Apple CarPlay. I can connect any audio app on my phone to my car. One tap to the Score North app to listen on demand. Uh, and one tap to all the music apps. It's, it's wonderful. Hybrids also have 0% financing, too. At Luther right now, who doesn't want to save a little gas, save a little money? 694 in Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. By 27th, the A's took their three-game winning streak to Minnesota for a midseason showdown. With a three-game lead, the Twins could put Oakland away with a sweep. But that's not how it happened. The undermanned A's won the opener 9-1. to And the next day, McGuire slammed two scary home runs. is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind. Yeah, we've adopted this into Mackie and Judd, where you can find all of the Minnesota Sports Rewind episodes is in the Minnesota Sports Rewind podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com. So that's your, that's your place for just Rewind episodes. But we, we love this show so much, and there's no live sports happening. Figure, let's, let's do this on Tuesdays. I'm Mackie and Judd. Love it. And uh, we've we've talked about this twin season a little bit on our show in the past, but 
we wanted to dive into because of the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, 1998 long gone summer documentary that came out on ESPN. Mark McGuire has been very much topical and top of mind. And we figure, all right, let's let's pick a twin season that was affected by Mark McGuire in some way. And the 1992 Twins is is the centerpiece of this episode here. One of the least talked about really good Twins teams. And the and the really the end of a championship window mm-hmm. for the Twins. And we're going to go into all of it and why the window closed when it did and what happened late in that season to prevent the Twins from defending their World Series championship in October. So just to set the scene here, the 1992 Twins were red hot to start the season. They were ready to win back-to-back World Series. They had a pretty loaded roster. Kirby Puckett, Chuck Knobloch, Scott Erickson was back for uh, for another big year. Uh, they did lose Jack Morris to the Toronto Blue Jays, but they make a trade for one of the best pitchers in the National League, John Smiley, to bolster the rotation. And also, uh, Kevin Tappany was a really good... The Twins had a really good rotation, and Rick Aguilera as yep. the closer, and Puckett and Herbeck. They also had a 60-38 and record and a three-game lead in the American League West heading into late July. So two-thirds of the way through the season, they're sitting on a three-game lead. They're 60-38. and 38. There's really no reason to expect that they would collapse or not finish strong and maybe flirt with 100 wins. And then they fizzled. They wound up playing sub-500 baseball the rest of the season. They finished 90-72, and 72, six games out of first place behind the Oakland A's. And in today's game, with the, with them having the fourth best record in the American League, the Brewers and the Blue Jays in the East had better records, but the Twins had the fourth best record in the American League. They at least would have been a wild card team in 2020. They would have been a wild card team a couple of years later, like in 1995 when they when they realigned. But in this instance, only one team from the West played one team from the East, and that was your championship series to get to the World Series. Pure baseball. Baseball's was meant to be. No, let's let's open it up. Let's put everyone in the playoffs. Let's do the College World Series. The American League champion used to play the National League <laughs> champion in the Fall Classic when we were done. <laughs> so let's let's start out with this question. We'll get to the McGuire stuff, but uh, but we're going to let Sports Dad Judd Zolgad answer question number one here. How did little-known utility player Eric Fox play a role in ending the Twins championship window? Okay, so, so the Twins, just to backtrack a little bit, Going into that A series, the Twins had gone to Boston and had taken uh, three of four in Boston. They are, as you said, Phil Mackey, sixty and thirty-eight at that time. They're three games up on an Oakland team that, by the way, was really, really good and had gone eighteen and nine themselves in June. So this is a really good race. Okay, the A's come to the dome, and in Game One, John Smiley starts, and the Twins lose nine to one. Hmm, that's a setback. Two games up, still have a two-game lead. The next night. The Twins lose 12 to 10. Now you're down to one game. Now you get to Wednesday, July 29th, a game that uh, that Don and I actually went to, and I remember to this day, went to Maxwell's beforehand. Oh, eight, eight on the highly patio. Underrated spot. Eight, eight on the patio at Maxwell's made the short walk to the Metrodome and sat in the right field upper deck before they had secluded off those seats with a curtain. A Zolgad date night. It was. Nice. I'm sure she was thrilled to go, too. <laughs> I know she loved regular season baseball games. There's nothing like it. She loved the Bash Brothers, that's for <laughs> who, sure. Who didn't at that time, right? So the Twins lead in that game 4-2 to in the eighth after Knobloch hits an RBI double. Bill Kruger had started and hit a pitch well, but Bill Kruger was, you know, your fifth starter. You're not going to have him attempt a complete game against the Oakland A's, and so you bring in your guy, 
Aggie, who I looked this up last night at that point, had 29 saves in 33 attempts and had only blown one save. And so we're on July 29th, had only blown one save since May the 7th. The game is over. The Twins are up by two. This game is done. The lead is going to go uh, back up to two games. They're in great shape. Until Aggie gives up singles to a guy named Jerry Brown and Hall of Famer Harold Baines. Those uh, runners eventually move to second and third. And up comes a rookie, a no-name rookie by the name of Eric Fox. Mm. Eric Fox would go on to hit, after this, four more home runs in his career. Okay? 1-1 pitch, Eric Fox blasted out to right, three-run shot. It is now 5-4. to four. And at that time, the, the A's had their own special closer by the name of Dennis Eckersley. Game over indeed. And at that point in time, the Twins and A's are tied in the standings. Um, amazingly, the Twins fell apart so badly post that series that by September 16th, they were nine games back of the Oakland A's. Uh, wouldn't it be awesome if you could hear Eric Fox's comments after that series? Obscure utility oh, I'm sure you can't find it. Oh, Declan found oh, Eric weird. Fox's comments. Then, in the finale, Minnesota took a 4-2 to lead into the ninth. But once again, had to deal with Mr. Fox. Aguilar to Fox. Deep right field. If it stays fair, it is. Probably the biggest swing of my life. I hit it into the right field seats and kind of surprised everyone. I still see the highlight film and they, they pan into the, the dugout and they show Jose's expression and, and Tony's expression. And uh, it's just, it was like a dream come true. We ended up winning that game five to four and, and that got us even on the division. And from then on, it seemed like they just, they went downward and we went upward. So, and, and I was, yeah. you know, I was seven years That's old. Accurate. Declan was Declan was not even a conversation over drinks yet. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I wasn't. So what? What? Uh, yeah, might have been. What was the? <laughs> actually, how many drinks? Actually, let's dive into yeah, that. Yeah. So, Judd, what? What was the feeling? Because that was the first time when the when the Twins had that three game lead. They're going into that series. Yep. They're 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 playing three games at home, and it's you know there's two months to go in the season. There's really no reason at that point. It, it had really been two years since Twins fans felt any kind of doom and gloom, right? They, 1991, they had, they they rolled off the winning streak. 90, they were bad. Uh, so like 1990, they got hot. Yes. Yep. 90 was the last time that you yep. really felt doom and gloom. Yep. What was it like entering that series? And then was there was there a sense after that series because because that series basically shut the window like that was the, yeah, the no, handing off no. of the baton. The, the answer to your second question is no. There was no feeling like what I mean. It was they're a good team. The A's are good. It was it was hard to lose that that game based on on the fact that your closer. In in Eggie, who was really good at that point, had given up a home run to a guy named Eric Fox, who you didn't know. But like, there was never a feeling of "Oh my God, oh, oh what's going on here?" I do remember this, and I don't know why. And it's one of those weird things that sticks in your head, and and I can't explain it. I remember in the summer of '92, it must have been before this series. It was probably late June or in July at, at some point, and this series took place in late July. I remember I was driving to Ridgedale, and I was going, and I don't know why I recall this, but I was going west on 394 and thinking to myself about the Twins, and I thought, this is the best Twins team of, of my lifetime, including 87, 
which was a dominant team at home. I don't think that that was a great team, but at the Metrodome, they were great. The 91 team, really damn good, really, really strong. But I remember, and I don't know why, but I remember the place and I remember the timing of thinking, oh, my God, this is really the best. If you look at this entire Twins team right now, this is the strongest Twins team in my lifetime. I would say uh, the the bullpen was incredible. Like you had you had five or six guys all with ERAs under three, and obviously Rick Aguilera uh, was one of the better closers in all the baseball. You also had Mark Guthrie as one of the more reliable yep. relievers in the early '90s. Eventually, went on to play for the Dodgers. Absolutely, Mike Trombley. Mike Trombley was a really good American young, reliever. Young Mike Trombley, huh? Yep. So you had all, you had all these guys, and the only thing I would say is their lineup, and we'll get into sort of the, the erosion of this championship window here. Mm-hmm. So you had Kirby Puckett at the center, and Kirby Puckett batted three twenty nine and drove in a hundred, and and Shay Mack had a career season batting over three hundred, and Chili Davis was still pretty solid, but Herbeck was kind of eroding by this point. His power was going down. Well, Chili Davis's power had kind of disappeared. Chuck Knobloch had not found the vitamins yet that he found apparently I don't in know the what you're 1990s. Talking about. I have no idea. Why. No twins did that. So there, and Scott Leyes was kind of a black hole offensively at third base. So you, you did have. I think you had more holes in that lineup maybe in 1992 than we would like to. Believe. There was there was one indication, and it actually came in March of '92 that things might not go perfectly, and it was a very very odd day March 28th of 1992 twins announced I believe it was that morning that they have traded a first baseman Paul Sorrento to Cleveland for a couple of minor league pitchers okay because Kent was playing first base and you didn't know I mean he it, he was well into his career but he certainly wasn't done at that point mm-hmm. in our minds that day the twins so the day of the trade Saturday the Twins travel to uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, to play the St. Louis Cardinals at that time in an exhibition game, okay? Herbeck, and I don't know why on earth he did this, Herbeck essentially, as I recall, belly flops headfirst into third base sliding and hurts his shoulder. He is out for six weeks. Dislocated his left shoulder on a godforsaken slide that to this day I don't get because it's a spring training game and can't you know in spring training really uh but Sorrento who went to Cleveland and and certainly had some power Sorrento would have been the guy then to open the season at first base for the twins Herbeck uh came back in in a late April series after he missed the first or I'm sorry. Wait, 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 wait. Let me backtrack here. So he came back in late April against the A's. Um, but it was a very bizarre deal. And Sorrento wouldn't have been perfect, but he would have been a good fill-in. And you said to yourself, man, the timing of that was really bad. Yeah. Well, here's my next key question for you. Yep. Let's just get right to it. Mark McGuire has been the subject of discussions all around the country and steroid use in that era. And he is an admitted steroid user. Mm-hmm. He was definitely, even with the A's, like, it wasn't like he got to the Cardinals and just started juicing for 98. Mark McGuire was was using substances along with a large percentage of the league, and we don't know if Twins players were using in that period. We can only speculate, but we know Mark McGuire was doing steroids in 1992, right? Mm-hmm. Game two of that series, this is the pivotal series of the season, right? The Twins, as the narrator said off the top of the show here, 
the Twins can put the A's away if they take two out of three or if they take all three games. So game three is the Eric Fox three-run homer game. But game two is the Mark McGuire game. So the A's wind up winning that game 12-10. to 10. It was a high-scoring game. Mm-hmm. But the Twins had a 6-2 to two lead early on. Scott Erickson on the mound. So you could argue the Twins had their ace on the mound. Oh, John Smiley is probably their ace. But, like, their yeah. their 1B ace on the mound. Yep. And they've got a 6-2 lead. By the way, the two runs that the A's scored in that 6-2 to two equation, was it was a two-run homer in the first inning off Scott Erickson. Well, Mark McGuire walked up to the plate again in the top of the fifth inning with two men on base and launches another home run. His second home run in the first five innings of that game to put the A's up, or I'm sorry, to bring the A's within one run. Mark mm-hmm. McGuire single handedly drove in five runs on two home runs in that second game of the series. One of the most pivotal games of the season. My question is Did Mark McGuire's steroid use help end the Twins championship window in late July of, 2000, of, of 1992? I think the answer is yes. It helped, uh, well, well, wait, wait, wait. It helped end that season, but the Twins went into a huge tailspin and then were so awful after that for so many years that I can't, McGuire played an itty-bitty role, I think. But the Twins after, so from 1992 to, to 2000, just to put this into context, okay? After that game, so starting with the A series in July of that year, the Twins, for the rest of the 1992 season, went 30 and 34, okay? From 92 to 2000, though, so the whole kit and caboodle, they never finished above 500 in a season until 2001. And post post Eric Fox, they went 558 and 733 in 1,291 games. 432 baseball. So... Did McGuire help derail the 92 Twins to a certain degree? I think we could go there. I will add Did that, it help end their championship window? That's a stretch. I will add, Mark McGuire, when you start with that series the rest of the way, so when Oakland Oakland is taking the division from the Twins in 1992, Yes, Mark McGuire in 41 games hit 13 home runs, slugged over 600. Yep. So his, his 41 games, if you extrapolate out to 162, the pace he hit at, from that twin series on on the way uh, to the end of the season. Yep. A 51 home run pace, 115 RBI pace, and an OPS over 1,000. Big Mac. Andrew, man. Kept it fresh. We're rocking those vitamins. And can't ending ev- the Twins championship run. And, and so after that A's uh, got done in July, he played thir- 34 games, Kent did, and Her- Herbeck hit 172 in his last 34 games, four home runs. Knocked in 12 runs. So, yeah. yeah, they basically came undone. It was, it's one of the most remarkable things. And back to your question, though, nobody on God's green earth, I think, thought to themselves, man, that was really bad. And I wonder if it's going to be worse for the next, what, 10 years or yeah, something it, like that. It would have been hard Nine to years. And I have, an, I have something on that, too. But let's go back to, uh, to John Smiley for a second here. Here's my next key question for you. Mm-hmm. Is John Smiley. When you look back, he spent one year with the Twins. Is John Smiley one of the most forgotten about big transactions in Minnesota sports history? Yes. So John Smiley with Pittsburgh. Yes, he is. This dude, just for, for some perspective here, this guy uh, comes up with the Pittsburgh Pirates in the late 1980s. So he played on the Barry Bonds Pittsburgh Pirates teams in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. 
He's an all-star with Pittsburgh in 1991 as a 26-year-old. He goes 20-8, and a 3.08 earned run average, and he was third in Cy Young Award voting, 14th in MVP voting Mm -hmm. in 1991. So he's like one of the three or four best starting pitchers in all of baseball, and it wasn't a fluke because he had seasons with ERAs 2.81 in 1989 and 3.25 in 1988. He was just a really good top-of-the-line starting pitcher. And the Twins traded for him. They traded Denny Nagel, who wound up having a pretty darn good career in the National League. It's it's one of these rare Twins trades where they give up a top prospect for one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. They gave up two. Cummings was... Midre Cummings. Yeah, yep. he, he he was supposed to be a, a stud. But I think, you know, for all of the, the rightful griping we've done over the past several years, yes. of like, hey, make, make a trade. This was a Put huge you over deal. the top. This was huge. I do wonder if this type of a trade did make, because Terry Ryan's part of the organization, um, you know, I wonder if this type of a trade, and Garden Hire was a, was a coach on the staff, because it didn't work out. Yeah. Ultimately, they wound up losing those prospects and losing John Smiley after the 92 season and didn't make the playoffs. So I wonder if, if the organization, so here's my key question. Two parts. Is this the most forgotten about big transaction in Minnesota sports history? And did this transaction make the Twins gun-shy for 20 years? The answer to question one is, I think, probably yes. Because this was a spring training trade. This was a huge deal. This was a, Jack Morris is gone, are you going to do something? And they're like, hell yeah! Which, you know, we've seen a lot of Twins teams and teams in this town be like, yeah, probably not. Uh, So... The answer to question one is, yes, I believe that the potential impact here in going and getting a, a guy who, to your point, had won 20 games in 91 and finished third in Cy Young uh, voting in the National League was absolutely a huge trade. Now, did it make them gun-shy? I've never thought about that, and it's a possibility. But I don't know that Terry Ryan had the same DNA for making impact moves that McPhail had. Yeah. Andy Andy was wired, I think, far more to identify a window and say, let's go for it right now. So if Smile if the Smiley trade works out and the twins go to the playoffs, let's say they don't win the World Series, but they go to the World Series. I don't know that changes Terry's outlook on life completely because McPhail, in my mind, was a go for it guy. Not sure about you, Phil. I never really saw Terry that way. No, so I, I don't I very don't, much never a go for So him. I don't think I don't think that this swayed him. It it might have convinced him a little bit more not to do this. But Andy and Terry, while friends and and certainly effective um coworkers, I don't think had the same outlook on life when it came to baseball transactions. This was the right trade to make though. Even yeah. though the this is this is the problem that a lot of these you know, close to the vest GMs have is I'm not advocating for always trading top prospects for top pitchers. If the window isn't open, then you should be careful about that. And and, and I think the twins are in a spot right now in 2020, if it wasn't such a wacky, uh, you know, pandemic ridden summer here, they would be in a position to where you should be looking to trade top prospects for established players because you can win a world series right now. And in 1992, yeah, the twins already had a world series, but they had a chance to win another one. They yeah, had they had they no were reason. Really good team. They had no reason to believe that they couldn't go out and win back to back World Series in 1992. Mm-hmm. And so, even though in retrospect you only got one year of John Smiley, you didn't make the playoffs, and you wind up Denny Nagel wound up being a really good starting pitcher for I don't know ten plus years. 
And some of his statistics are a little bit skewed because he played for the Colorado Rockies in the middle of like peak home run Coors Field. Yeah. So it's t- if you go back and look at Denny Nagel's numbers, it's it's a little bit tough to uh, to see just how talented he was. But it doesn't make it the wrong trade. And I just think the Twins can learn a lesson from this, not by lamenting the fact that oh my God, see see what we did? You give up some prospects and it doesn't work out. No. You should keep doing stuff like this. And I don't think Derek Falvey and Thad Levine need that pep talk, but this is the this is the model trade right here, even though it didn't work. And the good thing too you should be looking to make. It came in March. It didn't come in July. It came in March. It was incredibly proactive and, and coming off a year when when you had won a World Series and then Jack Morris skipped town. It was great. I mean, fans were jacked about it. Of course, the game that you needed him most, yeah. that A's game, he okay. winds up giving up five runs and, on seven hits in six innings and gets beat. But I, so you could make that but case. I but. did find a John Smiley quote from that trade that leads me to this question. Because we got Tom Herr, who supposedly cried on the plane from St. Louis uh, to, to uh, his flight here. He cried. He was so upset to be traded to a team that, by the way, had won a World Series against Tom Herr's team. Here's the John Smiley quote. He had been traded from Pittsburgh, okay? So it's not like the Yankees. It's not like the Bronx Bombers had traded him. His quote the day of the trade, I'm surprised and shocked by it. I had no idea this was coming. I had no desire to leave Pittsburgh. This is the only organization I've ever known. I'm disappointed. I'm going to miss these guys. Why the hell can't anybody embrace us? <laughs> Think about that. You've just got traded to a team. Hey, and Josh Pittsburgh Donaldson was loves good. it here. Josh Donaldson, I hear, loves the Lakes. Right, because he signed here. But I'm saying, like, what's... John Smiley played for a Pittsburgh team that was going to the playoffs at Barry Bonds and was very good. I understand all of that, okay? But you just got traded to a team that won a World Series. You're going to replace Jack Morris. You should embrace this opportunity. It's a damn good team. And another guy that pissed and moaned about being traded. Actually, in actually, here's we can mix in segment within a segment here. Alternate reality, okay? Okay. Pittsburgh Pirates edition. <laughs> the, the 1992 Pittsburgh. Go ahead, Pirates, Jim Leland. The 1992 Pittsburgh Pirates went 96 and 66. They finished first place in the National League East, and they lost in seven games in an epic National League championship series. The Braves beat them. I believe that was the bang bang play at the plate. The Sid like, Bream? Was that the Sid Bream year? Ninety two. Just an epic NLCS series against the Braves. All right. Is it possible that if he would have just stuck, if they hadn't traded one of the best starting pitchers in baseball, that they would have had enough ammunition to beat the Braves in that series? Do the Pittsburgh Pirates win the World Series in nineteen ninety two if they don't make that trade with the Twins? Trade John Smiley. Something to think about. I never even considered the Pittsburgh Pirates and play. And that's the end of our Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh was Pirates good though. Reality. Pittsburgh was good at the time. The other thing about John Smiley uh, that makes you smile from 1992, John Smiley had four games with the Twins in which he pitched nine innings and gave up zero earned runs. A couple of them had like an unearned run given up. Really? He ended the season mm-hmm. with three. Con- now the the race was basically over, so there's no pressure. The last three. I mean, the Twins. They were within like five games the last weekend, but mathematically the Twins were pretty much eliminated with like two weeks to go in the season. Sure. So his last three starts really didn't matter, but his last three starts of the season, nine innings, nine innings, nine innings, mm-hmm. zero runs, zero runs, one run, one walk total over those three games. Whoa. Ridiculous. What's the pitch count? Could have used that in late July. Do you see pitch counts? Yeah, 94, 103, and 80. Oh, uh, a snappy 80 game. Whoa. 80 pitch complete game. Yeah, he's a good pitcher. All right, here's the next Just key question. Just hated it here. Yeah. 
The next key question. Yeah. Was it inevitable that this was the end of the Twins winning window in 1992? Because they, th- this is, then the 1993, 90, like 93 wasn't a total disaster, but. What was 93? It I, got, I got all the records right here. It got. 71 and 91. Okay. It was pretty bad then. Yeah. 94 was more competitive, wasn't it? The, the strike short in the year? 53 and 60, 44 games out of first place. Okay. What? 53 and 60 and they were 40 games out of first? 44, I think, behind Cleveland. Yeah, look <laughs> look it up. It's it's almost mathematically impossible to be as bad as the uh, as the uh, Twins were. Well, but they but no, but you said they were 53 they were, and 60. Yeah, that's only 7 games under 500. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. 95, 56 an idiot. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That was the terrible season. So, um, so, but, but it, it, could they have extended this window somehow is the question. Yeah, but I think the answer is yes, but it requires them going back and not whiffing on a ton of first round draft picks. Yes. So, so age was becoming a factor. Kent Herbeck was 32. Yes. Brian Harper was 32. Uh, uh, Greg Gagne was 30. Puckett and Chili Davis were both 32. And so they needed... Like Puckett was still going to be good, as we know, for a few more years, but they needed an influx. They needed that next wave of players to come through. Yep. So here's the problem. Okay. Starting in 1986, Derek Parks was their first round pick, 10th overall. Catcher. Disaster. Mm-hmm. Now he was a right handed pitcher as well, wasn't he? Wasn't he a pitcher in there? I system? thought he was a catcher. Either way, he didn't, he didn't do really, anything. So it doesn't really matter. In the major leagues. Doesn't really matter. Uh, Willie Banks. No, that, Bust, yeah. third overall, 1987. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big swing and a miss. 1988, they drafted a guy named Johnny Ard, 20th overall. <laughs> I remember the names. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> 89, they nailed Chuck Knobloch in the first round. Okay. But then it was 1990. So this is like the late 80s, early 90s, when you need these dudes to come up through your system and contribute. These are your first round picks. Okay. Todd Ritchie in 1990. Mm-hmm. He pitched for a few years in the big leagues, but yeah, it was a disaster. I didn't do much. Midray Cummings they in 1990. In the Smiley trade. Yep. And 1991, they said, all right, it's thumper time. David McCarty and Scott Stahoviak oh, in yeah. the first round. Yeah. Bust, bust. And, and am I correct in saying, without uh, going to baseball reference, that um, Scott Stahoviak actually probably had a better big league career than McCarty? Uh, I don't know. Hold on a second here. Did, did they play? Get, wait, let's get to the bottom of this. I mean, because McCarty was supposed to be a star. He was, he was going to be, you know. All right, let's get to the bottom of this. We're okay. going to do this on the air. I'll go to Stahoviak because I, uh, I I remember him eventually playing first base. Sometimes Creighton, right? He played at Creighton. Did he? I don't yeah, I think he did. I think, I, I think he played in the College World he Series. Did. Wow. Yeah. wow, he did. Yeah, he's from he's from Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Yeah, I remember. I believe he played in the College World Series. D- uh, David McCarty went to Stanford. By the way, Dan Serafini was 1992's first round okay. draft pick. And then they finally got Torrey Hunter in 93. But by the, but like seven years of basically whiffing on your first-round picks and Chuck Knobloch being the only guy of substance, that's how you go from championship caliber to nothing in the 90s. And McPhail, if I, I believe that McPhail left for the Cubs during the strike in 94. Uh, Scott Stahoviak in um, 344 big league games and 1,019 at-bats, hit two fifty six. Hit 27 Ooh, home runs and drove fight. in 119 runs. Ooh, the edge goes slightly to David McCarty, who had who had a 242 career average, but 36 home runs, 175 RBIs, okay, and right. somehow <laughs> somehow stretched out. He played in the big leagues for parts of 11 seasons. David McCarty, Stahoviak inexplicably, Stahoviak lasted five. So McCarty played for the Twins. He played for the Red Sox. Where else did he play? Game show within a uh, within a show here. Go ahead. There's, so he played for the Twins. He, he played, played for, for the seven, Red Sox. Seven teams. Did, did he play for San Francisco for a while? 
He did. Did he play for Kansas City for a while? Yes. Wow, this is amazing. Okay, I don't think I know the last three, though. Come on. Um, They're I'm all to- American League teams. I'd be totally guessing. Um, I don't know. The, the two, two of these teams are teams that you would absolutely expect to take a flyer on David McCarty. Oakland? Yep. <laughs> uh, I said Kansas City because that would be the yep. other one. He played until 2005, if that gives you reference. Did he really? Who's the other team that would Tampa totally? Bay? Yep. <laughs> all right, who's the last one? Seattle's the last one. Okay. He played eight games in That's Seattle. That's awesome that I got th- that all you had to say. Stahoviak played five years. I didn't realize he had uh, he had stints with the Twins in 93, 95, 96, 97, 98. So his entire career, all 344 games, was as a twin. Man. So, all right, final key question for you here on That's Minnesota just, Sports Rewind. just awful. Where would yeah. you rank this tw- the, the 1992 Twins team, which they fizzled late, but the yep. collection of talent, yep. the 60 and 38 hot start, yep. championship window, uh, where would you rank this Twins team in terms of how good they are historically franchised? Well, I'll just Behind go. Behind 91 probably, but. I'll just go in my in my lifetime of watching Twins teams. I would probably put them. Now I'd probably put them at the tail end of my top five probably. I think. O- that that nine, might be a little aggressive, but ni- 91. 65. Yeah, I'm, I, I was not including that, but. I think. Oh, in your lifetime, I, I think the three. I think the three teams that went to and two of them won a World Series. Even though I think the '92 team was actually, for a big part of that season, better than the '87 team, it's not fair to put them above that team. What about the What about the last year's Twins? The 2006 Twins, for sure, probably are above that '92 team. Last year's Twins are going to be on this list somewhere. Yeah, the record-setting offense. You know. Yeah, last year's twins were better. They were. Just by default, they were better. I mean, they had more yeah, wins. They exactly. went to the playoffs. The pitching, the pitching in 92 was impressive until the collapse, obviously. But, yeah, so let's say the 92 twins would be at the end of my top five or just outside of it. All right. Because the collapse was pretty epic. Yeah. Like, I can't, I can't dismiss that collapse. I just remember into July – Thinking this is a hell of a ball club. Like this is a really complete, really good team. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I think that. I think you know, without having remembered a ton about like '87, I was. I would. I don't. But remember they won it, a World Series, so you gotta. This team was better than the '87 team, but the '87 team played better at home. They got right. hot when it mattered, and, were, yeah, and, that, exactly. and that matters. And they're clearly more clutch, et cetera, et cetera. So, yep. all right. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind, uh, which we are adopting Again, inside Mackie and Judd. Five fifty-eight and seven thirty-three after the Eric Fox game. Man. That was Crazy. the rest of the 90s and the first year of the aughts. This was a springboard for a dark era of Twins baseball. That series was a springboard for a dark era of Twins baseball. Tell me why I remember driving to Ridgedale and thinking this was the best <laughs> Twins team I've seen, though. That's what I want to know. What the hell's wrong with my head? But you don't know where you put your glasses, just like just I like Ricey. I take them off. So uh, you, can always, uh, you can always find the full list of episodes 20-plus episodes of Minnesota Sports Rewind on the Minnesota Sports Rewind podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com. It's just a disaster for our game. Um, absolutely no question about it. It, it shouldn't be happening. Um, and it's important that we find a way to get past it and get the game back on the field for the benefit of our fans. Uh, Patrick Gracie, what was your favorite thing about 150 years of Major League Baseball, now that it's pretty much over? <laughs> There were a lot of enjoyable moments, i got to say that. Uh, good, bad, and indifferent. Uh, I, I enjoyed them all. Uh, you know what? 
Manfred's a dummy, but Tony Clark's no genius either. Uh, uh, everybody else is taking a big hit financially. Every other group of players, and uh, you know, if they can get if they can get eighty percent uh, per diem, uh, you know what they would have gotten per game. Uh, if they can get eighty percent, they should probably accept that, considering uh, what the financial hit's going to be here for uh, Major League Baseball. I was talking to somebody today who's connected, and there are about a half dozen teams who just can't take the twenty million dollar loss. So, you know, so you know, there's there's just some teams that can't take the hit, and that's basically who they're protecting now to the uh, damage of the rest of the game. But I do uh, love the fact we got to get the game back on the field for the fans. Well, the fans have moved on, and. Uh, you're not going to have fans in the ballpark anyway. So, so. He, but here's the question. So, like from what you're saying, you know that let's say ten teams can't take the twenty million dollar hit. I think what the players would counter back and have counter back and said is, well, wait a second, you're all billionaires. Why don't you open the books and prove that you can't quote unquote take a twenty million dollar well, hit? They're not all billionaires. The guy in Oakland is not a billionaire. The guy in Tampa is not a billionaire. They're a bunch of. They're not all billionaires. There are. Uh, there are. Uh, there. There are probably. Half of them are probably billionaires, but they're not all billionaires. And uh, there's some, you know, ownership groups that are pieced together. And uh, that's, I guess, they, they got those six six or seven owners. Guy in Cleveland, he's not going to take the big hit either. And they got those people saying, no, we can't take this. It's obviously uh, the players are right. He's pushing the goalposts back so they can only play 60, uh, 50 you know, one third of the season, basically 54 games would be my, my guess where they land. That's what he's doing. He's, uh, you know, they could, if they start, if they start playing July 10th, well, then you got to play what? 70 games to get the end of the season. I mean, you, you're giving yourself time to play 70. Yeah. Games. That's what they don't want. Yep. And, and then you're given the, uh, and then you're giving the players more. Well, we could have played 70, but they only played 60. So they owe us for 10 games, you know? That, that's they're, they're fearing the lawsuit. But the other thing somebody told me today is Tony Clark and his guy Meyer absolutely hate uh, Manford and his guy, is it Harem or the guy uh, Haram? Halem, I think it was. Yeah. Halem, his right hand man, uh, who's now the assistant commissioner and is kind of the hatchet man in all of this. He's the one who sends out the seven page letters telling them how stupid they are. And uh, it's. Uh, it is incredible that everybody else is probably going to play, and uh, that in baseball might not. But Manfred, does he know how stupid he uh, sounds that a week ago at the draft he said it's 100%, and now he's saying he doesn't think it's going to happen? All he's doing, if he, if he thinks that's putting pressure on the players, is not. They're just laughing at him when he says something like that. So. He's making Gary Bettman proud, Patrick. He's making Gary very proud. That this is exactly what Bettman did in 0405 and he didn't lose a bit of sleep when they lost an entire season and the Stanley Cup. Yeah, uh well, uh, somebody said to me uh the other day on Twitter, I guess it was, that uh he never thought he'd find a, a commissioner who hated his sport more than Bettman hates hockey, but <laughs> but he yeah. found one man for baseball, but uh yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a disaster, and uh, it by the way, it's a disaster for uh, baseball for next season too. What uh, you know, base basically all their sweet money, all that stuff they've collected this year, they got to that's give backs, right? They got to give that all back. 
they're getting no new money next year. Yep. So, uh, and you know, a lot of people bailing on them. And, uh, Here's what I want, Pat. Though, if if they're if they're going to do this and and potentially not play, I want them to tear up the last year of the CBA right now and fight this out and figure it out into 21. Because the last thing I want is you come back and play 162 in 2021 and then lose a portion, if not all, of 2022. Just get this done now. Well, I agree with you on that. Uh, you would, you would. But I, I guess there's not any reasonable people in the room. You know who else is a flamethrower on this? Who? Boris. Boris. <laughs> screaming at him saying, don't give them any more of their money back. And, uh, you know, because he, he's getting that whatever, what's he get, 5% or something. And he's he's got to be really agitated by the money he lost in the draft already, right? Yeah. Not, you know, not getting those players. And he's, you know, he's another, he's, a, he's the third main, he's the third main voice, at least with the players. Uh, the number of players he has. The number of dollars he's getting to got any owners to commit to the the high uh, high end players, he's uh, you know he's another guy and uh, he's he's not going to be reasonable about anything either. So uh, you have uh, I, I still am trying and Jed and I were talking about this yesterday. Cause we're still trying to identify the owner, the owner who's Manfred's talking to. Is there an owner? has any influence with these guys i don't baseball doesn't have the owner anymore they, they're just all these 30 anonymous guys basically like they don't have a jerry jones is what you're saying no yeah they don't have a jones they don't have a craft they don't have hell they don't have a zygmunt wilf for god's sake yeah they don't even have him you know so, so what, what do you think do you what do you think comes out of this let's say in five years i mean what what makes both sides happier? What makes more sense for baseball? Should baseball have some kind of a salary cap structure? Should they get rid of organizations like Tampa? Like what? What comes out of all this? Uh, oh, I think we're headed into the great unknown here, and I I, I wouldn't even uh, venture guess, but I, I guess. But I did think, at least before the garbage can scandal, that baseball had a good year last year and had a good comeback and Washington wins the championship and people were kind of juiced up and uh, you know you could have had it into this year and had the you know the twins Jed and I were talking yesterday the twins would have had drawn a million people by now for goodness sake yeah. with the weather there's been and the anticipation for the team they would have been ta- drawn 35,000 a game and we would have been talking about the revival of baseball instead uh, there's uh, you know the it's a calamity and uh, financial calamity, uh, public relations calamity. I think Manfred's got to go, and maybe Tony Clark's got to go, and you got to get somebody sane in both those jobs. Somebody's got to be, you know, Manfred is, I, you know, he just, he just is uh, as much fun as we all made a Bud. Uh, Manfred's already got worse PR than Bud had, even in the middle of the steroid. Era when he was testifying at the uh, congressional hearings and didn't come off as a real bright fellow. When you do a Google search for Rob Manfred, you know how the, you've got the options that autofill the rest of your search. Mm-hmm. The fourth, yes. the so it's Rob Manfred salary, Rob Manfred MLB. The fourth option is Rob Manfred clown. In case you <laughs> That's like Goodell was with uh, Barstool. Uh, 
Well, I think my second one is Coach's wife rips Minnesota columnists. So uh, I think it's Heather. <laughs> Heather's my second one last time I was looking for something. Someone be proud of her. I think. Huh? I, I said that, that at least you can be proud of. The clown thing I'm not sure you can really be proud of. I see PJ is now on Kevin Warren's committee, even though PJ was hiding for about four days after the George Floyd thing. And when I finally uh, smoked him out, made him uh, made him say something about it on Twitter. <laughs> Doing your duty. That's why you're here. I was. That's that is hey, why I'm here. To your point on, on Unchained, too. Another gorgeous day. This is going to be <laughs> the most gorgeous spring in the history of ever, our state. Ever today, next next several days, low nineties. But not much rain, right? So it's yeah, it's a little humid. The baseball weather, man. That, you know, some people in this state, and there aren't many of us, are smart enough to own a convertible. Most people avoid convertibles in Minnesota. I'm sitting in one right now. Going to enjoy a glorious drive out to Mackey's hometown. I got to go see somebody out there. Oh, Buffalo, the Buffalo? Buffalo! I'm heading for Buffalo, and I, I'm always looking for an excuse to drive somewhere in the middle of the pandemic, and I found one. Are you going to, I don't want to spoil your story, are you going to, to a Benfield Mill? Are you going to the ballpark? or? No, no, it's a, it's a different thing. It's a, it's a just a, a couple that's retired out there. So, gotcha. Do you know, Patrick, we're we're getting very close to a potential Royce-endorsed drought territory. Oh, yes. As I saw my lawn today turning a nice brown. Within about two, three days, it'll be nice and crispy. Now, I do have to go out and water these new trees and bushes and stuff, though. Uh, otherwise, I can write off that uh, that uh, investment that the, the wife made. By the way, yeah, uh, you know, I got in trouble with saying, how much is this going to cost me? She got very upset when I said that to her. Or, uh, I threw the me in there when this started. Yep. Well, it's cost us way more than it was supposed to when we started because we keep having add-ons here. So, A, I'll say it's cost us, but I know who's paying for it. (laughs) (laughs) Always count on add-ons, Pat. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right. See you. All right. See you, Pat. Bye. All right. Amazing. I smoked PJ out. That's great. <laughs> Taking full credit. I smoked him out. Oh, man. That is my job. Uh, you can find Roycey Unchained and Roycey on Baseball. Each are weekly shows. Roycey Unchained, just find the podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com. Roycey on Baseball is part of the Scorenorth Twin Show. And we're still putting our heads together trying to figure out with all the, the, the Scorenorth layoffs on May 1st. We haven't been able to go as all in on some of these podcast feeds, but uh, we we will have plans at some point. If baseball has plans to play, we will have plans for at least a weekly Scorner Twin show. So fingers crossed. But I'm not I'm not going to hold my breath at this point. It was going to be so much fun too. Yep. But uh, we can always preview 2021. Everyone a year older. Nelson Cruz, 50 years old. I was going to say, yeah, great. Well, well, here's the question: Who's Can't coming? Wait. Who's coming back? Is Cruz going to come back? I think we should dive into this this week on our show. Like let's just and let's, what's let's, your let's screw baseball. Two thousand twenty is over. Twenty twenty one opening day lineup. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just yeah, jump right ahead. I think it's a very serious question. I agree. And and the parameters are going to have to be: you got to cut like thirty million dollars off your payroll, right? Because that's probably going to be the case, right? But uh, we can do that later this week. Write that down. Predictions tomorrow on oh Mackie and Judd, and you can always find our daily Vikings discussions on the Purple Daily podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com. It's just a disaster.
for our game. Um, absolutely no question about it. It, it shouldn't be happening. Um, and it's important that we find a way to get past it and get the game back on the field for the benefit of our fans. That was good. I'm going to pee real quick.